Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 18. I'm your host, Otis Jerry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Raz T. Slasher, about abysmal astronomy, monstrous manifestations, penniless punishments, and psychic psychoses. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> have you ever been to the planetarium before? If you haven't, don't you realize what you're missing out on? Why, you can sit still in a chair watching the sky... While someone tells you about everything that's happened since the dawn of time. Well, I suppose you might get the same effect in the dentist's office. But in our first tale from Raz T. Slasher, 
we'll hear about the experience of a slightly offbeat individual who's created the planetarium show of a lifetime. Without further ado, I present to you Laser Light Show of the Gods. When I was young, I spent a few years volunteering for a local natural science museum. I worked my way up from general volunteer to reptile handler, and eventually to the chemistry department doing all sorts of amazing experiments in live shows geared towards children. When I wasn't busy running around teaching various things to the kids and cleaning up after them, I spent a lot of time hanging out with my friend, Louis, at the planetarium. Louis was a weird guy. I know that weird is a general term these days, but I'm talking... This guy spent most of his time trying to become Robert Smith from The Cure somehow, doing hallucinogenics and creating the strangest things I've ever seen in the confines of a planetarium. While he was into astronomy more than anyone else I've ever known, he took it to lengths that I still cannot fathom to this day. It was a pretty common thing to sneak into the planetarium when it wasn't running a show, and head up the short flight of stairs to the little catwalk, where Louis would undoubtedly be slaving away at the master computer. I'd always sneak up on him and scare the shit out of him, because that's just the kind of kid I was back then. He'd jump a few feet off of his chair every time and glare at me for a moment, before we both would break into raucous laughter. It always ended up with me pulling up a chair and him showing me his newest creation. Everything Lewis did was fucking excellent, to be honest. He did more than just your essential shows on astronomy and the Pink Floyd laser light shows. He'd create these strange combinations of both that would somehow incorporate parts of space I'd never even heard of before, along with, of course, music by The Cure. I never really fully understood his obsession with the band, but... I'm a flannel-wearing grunge guy for life, so to each his own. Louis generally showed me everything he was doing except for his super-top-secret project that he'd be working on throughout the years I'd been working there, and for even a couple of years before I got the position in the first place. He'd give me little hints and teasers now and then, but wouldn't budge on the actual content or information. His favorite thing to say about it was that it would change the way people viewed space as we know it. Once I watched him for a few moments before our usual scare routine, long enough to watch him shove some book by H.P. Lovecraft into a drawer and close out a program of star charts that I had never seen before. It wasn't until three weeks before I was due to leave my volunteer position to go off to college that Louis posted a flyer for a small party in the planetarium to reveal his secret project once and for all. It's all of his staff could talk about for an entire week leading up to it. Of course, I never told anyone what few details I'd seen. I was a loyal friend, after all, and that would have been a shitty thing to do. There were a lot of wild rumors circulating, though. Dr. Rainier from the chemistry department thought it might have something to do with Wormwood. At the same time, our volunteer coordinator, Becky, was certain that it would just be some sort of weird music video for the cure that Louis had created with lasers and star formations. 
While most people believe that Becky was likely correct, part of me leaned heavily toward Dr. Rainier's Wormwood theory. While I didn't think it would be that exactly, I knew it had to be something insane just based on those weird star charts and the H.P. Lovecraft book Louis had hidden the day I walked in. I was an avid reader from a young age, and I'd read my fair share of old H.P.L. over the years. The phrase, the stars are wrong, from Call of Cthulhu, kept circulating through my brain for that entire week. Finally, the day came for the big reveal party. It was also a going-away party for me, so the fact I'd actually get to see what my friend had spent years working on was extra remarkable to me. He ushered us in one by one, shaking our hands and greeting us individually. Over the speakers, we could hear some strange instrumental song that I couldn't really identify. Definitely not Louis' usual taste of music. As we took to our seats, Louis stood front and center with a microphone in his hands. As soon as he had our attention, the show began. Welcome, everyone. I want to start by pointing out the departure of one of our greatest volunteers this museum has ever seen. Jake, you've cleaned vomit, wrapped yourself in Burmese pythons, and even burned off Dr. Rainier's eyebrows. At that, there was a loud round of laughter. I stood for a moment to take a small bow before Louis continued. In all seriousness, though, Jake, you've been with us for six years now. In that time, you've been a friend to many of us and a mentor to many more gone above and beyond every opportunity given to you. You've even been the front-runner in many of the outreach programs the museum has held over the years. We've watched you grow from a smart-ass 12-year-old kid to a smart-ass 18-year-old man, and it's been a pleasure to see you grow. It's to you I truly dedicate this show and hope it stays with you for years to come. Louis paused long enough to allow a round of applause and whoops. I mouthed a thank you in his direction, and he responded with a slight grin and a quick nod before moving right along. Before we begin, I feel like a brief explanation of what you're about to see is in order. As most people know, the Big Bang Theory is the leading explanation of how the universe began. At its simplest, it says the universe as we know it started with a small singularity, then inflated over the next... 13.8 billion years to the cosmos that we know today. Any astronomer can tell you that the number one question they ask is, what happened before the Big Bang? Was everything truly born of that singularity, or was there something else behind it altogether? There were a few eye rolls and even some low talking amongst staff members. I ignored it for the most part and just focused on Louis. Previously, all we've been able to learn about the history of our world has been discovered from mathematical formulas and theoretical models. Humanity has never possessed the technology to make any true determinations on the formation. So, what is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything? 42. Someone whose voice I didn't readily recognize shouted from somewhere behind me, Everyone got a good chuckle out of that, even Louis. It didn't break his stride, though. Through the use of advanced mathematics, existing theoretical models, ancient star charts, and the dimensional Leyland theory, I believe I've finally discovered the true origins of our world. 
Sensing the displeasure of some of the scientists and scholars on our staff, he rushed forward quickly. I only ask you to keep an open mind as you see what I'm about to show you, and please save all your questions for now. If by the end of what you're about to see you still don't believe, then I'll be happy to discuss all my discoveries with you at great length. Until then, please enjoy the show. I heard his heavy steps up that little staircase to the catwalk above us. A low fog began to roll through the room. That was somewhat surprising and exciting, since we didn't have a fog machine installed in the planetarium, to my knowledge. The show began with a series of lasers set to move with the beat to, as expected, various cure songs all stitched together. Multiple words in some language I couldn't place began to appear on the screen. That's when things started getting a little strange. Everyone had fallen deathly silent as the show continued. Star charts began circulating and spinning with the music. Areas of space I'd never seen before began dominating the screen and pulsing with the music. I started to feel nauseous. I took my eyes off the screen to look around at the others. In all honesty, that might have been what saved my life. I looked next to me at Dr. Rainier just in time to see blood leaking from the corner of his eyes, ears, and mouth. A glance around revealed that the same was happening with everyone else. I wiped a little blood from my own eyes, but clearly I hadn't seen enough of it to affect me as profoundly as the others. The fog was thickening. There were some strange smells and tastes in the air I suddenly recognized. Louis had always kept a jar of liquid LSD in his tiny office upstairs. He used an eyedropper to put it in his eye on occasion and even made his own blotter and candy for dipping in it. He had to have mixed it with the fog juice to send it airborne. I'd done acid, even with him, enough times in my life to know that there was a little time before it kicked in, usually. Why was I already starting to feel it, though? My vision was slightly altered, and I could feel that deep body buzz creeping in. I wasn't sure what he'd done, but I needed to get out of there immediately. I stood up, hopped over a seat into an empty row in front of me, hauled ass to the front door of the planetarium that led into the museum. Just as I made it to the door, I could hear everyone, including Louis, in his spot atop the stairs, chanting something I couldn't understand simultaneously. I pulled as hard as I could on the door, only to find out that someone had locked it from the outside. It dawned on me that there was a back exit from the planetarium from Louis's office, he likely slipped out to lock those doors as the show was getting started. I switched gears and ran for that short flight of stairs up into the catwalk. Just as I made it to the first step, I saw Becky start peeling her face off as she chanted, never looking away from the screen. My stomach lurched to the sight before me as I spilled the streaming contents of my stomach onto the floor. I half slept in it as I made my way onto the first step, dragging myself up by a flimsy railing to keep my footing. I rushed to the top, narrowly avoiding a collision with Louis, who stood at the very top of the stairs, staring down at the screen. Louis didn't so much as look at me, standing there with pieces of his face torn off and blood pooling around him. His eyes were enormous and seemed like they were trying to vibrate themselves right out of his skull. I shoved my way past and made it to the door at the back of the office, 
thanking any deity that wanted to take responsibility for the door being unlocked. I sped out and into the small supply room before exiting that room and running down a flight of stairs into the museum lobby. I made it to the phone at the front desk and called 911. By the time help arrived, the chanting and screaming from inside of the planetarium had gone silent, and I was fully tripping my balls off, hidden behind the front desk of the lobby. I lost consciousness somewhere on the way to the hospital. When I woke up several days later, I was told no one else had survived. As I suspected, an enormous dose of LSD permeated the air. Those that hadn't died from an overdose had died from the shock and blood loss of self-inflicted wounds. They claimed it was the sole reason for the incident that occurred, but they hadn't seen what I'd seen. Something about the stars in our night sky has seemed wrong to me ever since. I witnessed some strange and alluring truth that my brain had no way of accepting. Those words I didn't know were still burned into my brain, and I know that I will never truly rest until I've discovered what part of space those star charts were from. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Laser Light Show of the Gods by author Raz T. Slasher, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Raz. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash R-A-Z. Is that his real name? Who knows, sure. But what we do know is that he has a book you might be interested in. Silence is Crimson. Available as an e-book, it follows singularly unpleasant events in 1980s Ohio Events which have not been revealed until now. Be sure to stop by his profile in order that you can order up a copy. And if you do decide to stop by, please leave Raz a kind word and let him know you heard about him on his show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to both him and me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Clawing my face off during a concert. Well, usually I do that beforehand, when I find out what opening acts I have to sit through. All I can say is, I'm pretty sure what everybody saw was not just like heaven. 
but not everyone is as well-adjusted as our friend Lewis. Some don't have the help they really need. Take our second story by Raz T. Slasher. What appears to be a place of rest, relaxation, and recovery for a former soldier turns out to be something a little more hairy. Without further ado, I present to you The Monster in You is the Monster in Me. I sat alone on the rocking chair I set up on the front porch for my new cabin the other day, just reflecting on life for a while. You ever do that? Just sit by yourself somewhere and think about all those little moments? It's a truly cathartic experience. In all honesty, I've had a hell of a time this past year. The only thing I had to feel proud of was renting this place, or so I thought. I'd only been back from the Army for maybe half a year after three straight tours, and I was having a hell of a time adjusting to civilian life. So much time in hot zones of foreign lands had a way of changing a guy. They called it an honorable discharge and sent me home. But the way they looked at me when they said I had PTSD, I got the feeling there was nothing honorable about it. I put the time into trying to reach out to family and old friends. What else was there to do? I wasn't in bars anymore, and honestly, places with too many people. I'd find a corner to sit in where I could see every entrance and exit, and spend the whole time making these weird contingency plans just in case something happened. Nothing ever did. It didn't take long for them to notice how much I'd changed or for me to hear them whisper about it behind my back. Even my mother asked me one day what happened to her son and mourned for her loss. Whatever good was left inside me died that day. I think, assuming anything had been left at all. Only one friend was truly there for me, accepting me as I was for all my faults. We'd grown up next to each other and had been best friends since we were two. Her name was Riley, and she probably was the kindest person I've ever known. Ever try to date someone and just feel weird the whole time? We'd tried a time or two through the years. We just felt like family for so long. I guess that it never quite worked out for us. I spent most of my time while trying to get back on my feet at her apartment smoking weed and playing video games. Call of Duty was a favorite, for obvious reasons. I still slept at Mom's house, but I moved all my things to the basement, so I never had to look her in the eye. I think she wanted me to leave even then and just didn't know how to tell me. The worst thing about life after the military was the messed up dreams I had every single night. As a devout Catholic, it didn't take me long to realize that most of them were fueled by some deep-seated guilt. I'd watch, hapless, as I lost my buddies in different situations all over again, or the lives I took, whether those deaths were earned or not. I won't waste your time with details. We both know you don't want to read them. My shrink over at the VA suggested I do something about the guilt at one point. I wasn't sure what to do until I sat down and just started handwriting letters one day. One to the family of each person I lost. They didn't know who I was, but I couldn't help but feel I owed them 
more than the folded bag and pine box the service gave them. I always received a letter back thanking me for writing to them, but that didn't take away the guilt. If anything, it was getting worse. One night I woke up with a sweat pouring off me and my muscles all tight and aching. I was screaming something, but I'll be damned if I know what. The next thing I knew, I was getting hit in the head with something heavy. I looked down at my fingers to see them wrapped around my stepfather's throat. I was so confused at that point. I liked Ron a lot. He'd always been kind and understanding since I got back. I had no reason to do anything like that to him. I'd never been a violent person outside of the orders I was given. I turned around with tears in my eyes to see my mom standing there with a table lamp in her hand and flashing red and blue lights pulling into the driveway that I could just barely see through the basement window behind her. I was cuffed and went along quietly as they stuffed me into their squad car. Instead of going to jail, Ron was kind enough not to press charges. Instead, they had the police stick around as I packed my things and left. It didn't take long for the whole family and pretty much everyone else in our small town to find out what had happened. It went from whispers behind my back to glares and cold shoulders by morning. I didn't want to burden Riley, no matter how much she insisted, but I did park my car in front of her place and sleep there for a few nights. I was terrified something would happen if I stayed there with her, but I was too ashamed to say it aloud. I got a security job at an aging mental hospital just outside of town a few days later. It was an easy job and the people there were great. The doctors were glad to have me there, and the nurses always had a kind smile and a cup of coffee waiting. They let me stay in one of the old suites as part of my pay. They used to offer the ones to family members of patients, back when the place used to double as an overflow intensive care unit for a larger hospital in the next town. I still hung out with Riley a lot, and things were finally looking up. One night... I worked a little later than usual due to a misunderstanding between a few patients that didn't end well. I hopped on my PS4, a present from Riley, and joined up with her to play some COD. I'd had a few drinks, and before I knew it, I was beyond exhausted. I passed out on my couch right after I ditched the headset. When I woke up the next morning, I was in my bathtub for some reason. Confusion, I took a look around and saw blood everywhere. Solid knocks thundered from my front door in the other room, all of a sudden, barely knocking me out of my stupor. I focused on the sound the best I could and haphazardly managed to pull myself out of the tub and onto my feet. Taking full stock of the sheer amount of blood I was seeing, I switched to some kind of autopilot, courtesy of Uncle Sam, instilled within me. I stripped my clothes off and shouted, I'll be right there, to whoever was on the other side of the door. I pulled on some fresh clothes in record time somehow, although the shades of the shock of my situation fought my autopilot for attention. I hurried to the source of the knocking, nudging the bathroom door closed with my foot on my way as my heart pounded out of machine gun staccato. I could hear the sirens and see those red and blues before I made it all the way to my door. I had no idea what I did, but whatever it was... I was damn sure I deserved whatever happened next. I was tackled the second I opened it by the same cops that had come out to my mom's house before. This time I got cuffed and stuffed. There wasn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
They put the pedal to the floor on the way to the little jail at the sheriff's office. The whole way there, they were spitting in my face through the cage and telling me I was a disgrace to their country. It wasn't until they made me sit in a cell for nearly four hours that they finally booked me and read my charges. I'd forced my way into the housing unit next to mine and brutally attacked an elderly janitor, an ex-Marine, with whom I'd had more than a few drinks. Just like with Ron, I had no reason to attack this guy. Jimmy always had a spare cigarette and a flask to share every time I'd seen him. I felt like I wasn't in control of myself. All I remember about that night was having another nightmare about a close friend of mine being beaten to death overseas. It's not how he died, but I guess that's how the subconscious works. Also, like Ron, Jimmy decided not to press charges and I was released. I was told that if one more incident happened, the town would press charges and I would go away for a while. Riley was nice enough to give me a ride back to my place. She tried to console me and help figure things out, but I just wasn't in the mood. I sat there, mostly, and just nodded and agreed at all the appropriate times. She dropped me off, making me promise I'd come by the next night for some gaming and dinner. When I made it to my housing unit, I found a note on the door. It was a notice that I'd been terminated and had 48 hours to vacate the premises. I didn't known that much, so I packed the car that night, drove to the Walmart, and slept in the car. I woke up the next morning at 0600 hours to a call from my former CEO. He'd heard about my struggles and wanted to lend a hand. I told him I wasn't interested in a handout and almost hung up on him right then and there. Something he said stopped me. Apparently, he had an old friend that he'd served with, not too far from my area, who was looking to rent out a cabin. It was fairly isolated and was empty at the moment. He said that this was only rented to vets in need and that it would be therapeutic for me. I took down the number and thanked him, and that I hoped to repay the favor someday before he ended the call. I immediately gave the guy a call. He apparently had been expecting to hear from me. He let me know that rent would be free for the first two months while I got back on my feet. The place was well stocked, but if I needed something, it was about a 50-mile drive to any store, so I should try and plan ahead. I didn't bother asking any other questions, which in retrospect was definitely a mistake. He told me I could move in that day if I wanted, which of course I did because sleeping in a cabin sounded a hell of a lot better than sleeping in my car again gave me directions and said he'd meet me there, hanging up before I could say anything else. I gave Riley a quick call to let her know there was a change in plans, but I'd make it up to her. She was so thrilled that I found a place to go to that she didn't much mind. In honor of my new lifestyle, Riley and I decided to start a podcast. I didn't know much about him, to be honest, but Riley made up for that in spades. The concept was to make sort of a living audio document about cabin life. We started each episode with any updates around the cabin and the surrounding woods. Of course, we talked about many other things we enjoyed during the process, like gaming and movies to keep things interesting. Sometimes she came over and we did a live episode to keep things fresh, but usually we just did it through Discord from our own homes. A lot of my updates were about repairs I had to make, what I had to go through to get supplies, 
and the different animals I spotted throughout the day. Some of them were certainly more interesting, though. After a few weeks of being there, I started hearing strange noises at night that I couldn't identify. Despite being a horror fan and knowing better, I often went out to investigate just to see if I could find out the source of the noise. So far, I had no luck with my late-night jaunts. One day, Riley had an idea for a special event for the show. The woods throughout Ohio have a lot of myths and legends surrounding them. I won't bore you by detailing all of them, but the basic highlights are a lot of old Native American burial grounds, hauntings, and cryptids galore. Riley thought it would be interesting to set some equipment during the early afternoon and do a 24-hour stream as we investigated the property together. I was hesitant at first, but she won me over in the end. The morning of the big event came, and Riley was excited. She brought over a bunch of audio and video gear I didn't even know she owned. When I questioned her about it, she said she'd borrowed it from a friend who was interested in the property. Before I could ask any more questions, she put me to work, helping her set things up. We put some wireless security cameras with night vision up around various trees, along with a couple more basic trail cams. A wireless microphone also accompanied each camera. She also had me add a few tripwires and basic alarm traps with some motion-activated lights just to make sure nothing could sneak up on us. She also planned to carry a tablet around with her to read that would control the live feed and let her read out viewer comments as they happen in real time. The last thing we had to do was set up a base camp of sorts in the cabin. We put up a folding table with a few monitors and some other gear I didn't recognize. She also installed some sort of signal booster that piggybacked off my satellite dish. That worried me because the dish was the only way to get TV and internet this far out in the woods, but she assured me everything would be fine. She'd always been the smart one between us, so I went along with it. When it was all set up and ready to go, she slid her laptop on the table and got everything connected. Before we could go live on YouTube, she strapped some GoPros to each of us. Then we tested each mic, camera, and motion sensor to ensure we were good to go. We celebrated with a couple of beers and a blunt, a long-standing tradition for us since high school. Riley had promoted the hell out of this thing, so it helped with those last-minute jitters I was experiencing. We talked for a while, opening up the show like we always did with a quick greeting to our listeners and a few jokes. It was our first time doing a live event, and being able to read the comments as they were happening was encouraging. We spent hours just wandering around the cabin and the woods during the early part of the evening, cracking jokes and answering questions from viewers. It wasn't until an hour after sunset that things took an interesting turn. What the hell was that? Riley jumped, looking deeply into the woods to the right of us. Before I could reply, the sound came again, and this time it was thunderous. We stood there for a couple of minutes in silence, too afraid to move. When nothing else happened, I piped up. I'm not sure what the hell that was, but it was coming from the direction of an old deer stand I saw out there the other day. Let's head in that direction and see if we can find out what it was. Riley rolled her eyes with a small smile on her face, despite the slight tremors I noticed on her shoulders. Rule number one of horror films, man. Don't investigate strange noises. It's like you want to be a victim or something.
I laughed it off and ribbed her as we walked. Just because you're afraid doesn't mean I am. Besides, isn't the whole point of tonight to investigate? Riley acquiesced and read off some of the comments while we moved. Jung in Captivity 143 just said they thought it sounded like a woman screaming. I scoffed at that. That's not what I heard at all. It was a little high-pitched, but definitely not a woman screaming. Riley read the next comment. Wicked 76 says they heard a similar sound on a Bigfoot documentary the other day. I already laughed at that. <laughs> Didn't we already discuss the fact that I don't believe in Bigfoot in a previous episode? Come on, people, get serious for a second. Eventually, we arrived at the old deer stand. A strong smell of copper permeated the air. I filled people in on what we were experiencing. We finally made it to the deer stand, and all I can smell is blood. I'm trying to see if I can locate the source now. Riley balked at that. Blood? Seriously? It seems kind of sketchy, man, don't you think? I continued to talk as we move. It's probably just an animal. It happens around here all the time. Nothing to freak out about. When we reached the source of all the blood, the sight gave me a moment's pause. Years of training sent me into this strange sort of autopilot as I assessed the immediate situation. I described what I saw aloud to Riley, not caring that the audience could hear it just as clearly. There are two deer here. They look like a doe and they're fawn. They've been ripped open from ass to throat and blood out. If Riley seemed nervous before... It was nothing compared to the tone in her voice now. What the hell, man? You think it was like a wolf or a bear or, or something, maybe? I shook my head and gestured for her to have a look of her own as I spoke. And she declined my offer with a quick shake of her head. Never seen a wolf around here, and bears are pretty rare. It's one big, jagged wound. The teeth marks alone are larger than anything I've seen in the woods around here. Whatever did this is probably still close by. There's still a little steam radiating from the entrails. Still shaking, Riley read off a comment from a viewer. Ace in my hole, 19, says we should get out of there and go home. I chuckled nervously at that. Uh, wouldn't be much of a show then, would it? Riley read the next one. Try Hard 73 says you should hold the camera up so everyone can see the damage. Just as I started to position the camera in my hands to give them a better view of the carnage, a new noise could easily be heard by everyone listening. There was a loud rustling in the trees nearby and the sound of solid wood snapping. I quickly pivoted the camera in the direction it was coming from and caught some large bushes moving wildly on film. From its confines came an enormous clawed hand covered in blood and thick black hair snatched the tablet out of Riley's hand and crushed it in one motion. The last thing the viewers heard before the live feed died was Riley screaming. I watched in sheer horror as the rest of the figure slid out before us. It stood seven feet tall and was as thick as the oaks that surrounded us. It was humanoid in shape and had a huge mouth of jagged broken teeth that stretched into a menacing sneer. The most frightening thing about it was its eyes. Their azure hue seemed so human that for just a moment I forgot what stood before us. 
The intelligence they radiated was unlike anything I'd ever witnessed in the wild. Its chest rose and fell in a primal circadian rhythm that matched its slow and calculated movements ever closer to us. They teach you a lot about fighting in the military from any distance. What people don't realize, what they often get wrong from years of war movies and propaganda about the military, is that they also teach us how to run. A well-trained and disciplined soldier can make a weapon out of nearly anything close enough to them in a tough situation. But we also know when it's time to get the hell out of Dodge and fight to live another day. With that in mind, I dropped everything in my hands as I scooped Riley up over my shoulder and hightailed it toward the cabin. I didn't know if we'd be any safer there or if we'd even make it, but it seemed like a better plan than standing there with a thumb up our asses waiting to get eaten or torn apart like these deer. I darted around the trees and through the bushes. All the while, the ground shook and the branches snapped behind me. Riley made herself as small as she could over my shoulder and held on tighter than gorilla glue. I got the sense this thing could have overtaken us had it wanted to, and it realized that I knew it too. As well as I knew these woods, this thing clearly knew it better. I heard it stop moments after I launched through the foliage that marked the edge of the forest near the clearing around the cabin. My heart was pounding so hard by the time we got inside the cabin that it felt like a fire was burning somewhere inside me. I barked some quick orders at Riley as I tossed her onto the couch and went about locking and barricading every possible egress. She rushed to the den where she'd set up our command center, hoping to spot the thing on some of the equipment so we could track its movements. I saw it move past trail camera one, but it didn't trigger the motion sensor. I sighed from the living room as I finished sliding the couch in front of the door. This was worse than I thought. That means it knew the motion sensor was there. I hit it well enough that anyone or anything lumbering by would have hit it without even noticing. How the hell could it have known? Her voice was quaking with fear now. I opened my gun safe and grabbed my father's rifle, the only thing I had to remember him by. On his deathbed, he told me it had saved our lives more than a few times, and maybe someday it would save mine too. Hopefully, today would be that day. Whatever that is out there, it's not an animal, Riley. At least no animal I've ever heard of. It's been watching us for who knows how long. The sounds, the deer, it was a setup. It could have killed us any time it wanted. Now it has us trapped in here. A small explosion shook the windows as the power went out. A moment later, we could hear something scraping along the walls of the cabin, getting closer and closer to our position within it. Riley pressed a hand over her mouth to keep from screaming as I finished loading my hunting rifle. I'd taken that thing apart and put it back together so often that the lack of sight didn't affect my precise movements. Just as I slipped off the safety and shifted onto my shoulder, everything stopped and grew eerily silent. Five minutes had gone by in silence, but we held our position in silence. The five turned to fifteen, then to thirty. There was no sign of movement from the outside world. Part of me hoped the creature had simply left, but the hunter in me knew better. I carefully crept around the cabin with Riley in tow, peeking through the windows in each room as we went. 
I didn't see anything until we made it to those sliding glass doors that led to the backyard. The second we saw each other, the creature slammed its enormous fist right through the glass. My autopilot kicked back in and I quickly fell into a shoot, retreat, shoot pattern, keeping Riley as far behind me as I could manage. I tagged it damn near a dozen times before it retreated. I hadn't killed it, but I sure as hell gave it something to think about. With a roar that reminded me just how inhuman this thing was, the beast bounded off into the night, leaving a trail of thick, dark blood. In a flurry of movement, I ran all around the dining room, looking for something to blockade the broken sliding glass doors. Running on pure adrenaline, I managed to shift over the fridge from the nearby kitchen into place, along with the stove and anything heavy enough to give us time if it came back through that way. Riley was barely responsive, so I gave her the easy job. Can you grab more ammo for the rifle out of the safe? She blinked at me a few times in confusion, before my request finally made sense to her. Just as she made it to the safe, I pushed her inside and locked the door. The rifle had been the only gun I owned at the moment, and I'd pulled all the ammo earlier. The safe had come with the cabin and was one of the largest I'd ever seen in a home. I'd always thought it would make a decent panic room the way it was boxed in. Looking back on it, I'm pretty sure I could have gotten inside of that thing with her. But at the time, that didn't even register. I sat in my chair in the living room, waiting for her to come back. Deep down inside, I knew it as a matter of when, not if. My rifle was in my hands and ready to go. I even slipped a hunting knife Crocodile Dundee would be jealous of into my boot before I sat down for good measure. Occasionally, I heard it outside snapping branches, roaring, and even scraping its claws against the outside of the cabin again. Despite the act of combat I'd experienced in my lifetime, I'd never been as terrified as I was at that moment. I sat there, ready to piss myself for the better part of an hour, before I saw it again. One of those enormous, haunting azure eyes stared in at me through the small glass window at the top of the front door. The second it spotted me, it began slamming its gigantic fists into the wood over and over again. I knew how sturdy the door was and felt confident it would hold up against the onslaught until the hinges began to creak. I jumped up and shifted over to add my own 250 pounds to the door to brace it, but I was too late. Chunks of the door broke away and flew through the air, narrowly missing my face. I quickly placed the barrel of Dad's rifle to the little window in the top of the door and fired, catching it in the eye that was still pressed to the other side. I'd wounded it badly, but it had cost me. Just as the bullet made contact with its eye, it was forcing its claws through the door again. In my desperation to go on the offensive, I'd let my guard down and felt a claw fillet me to the ribs in one sweeping motion. It screeched in pain, tearing it back out of me at an awkward angle and lumbered back into the woods. Blood rushed out over my hands despite the pressure I was applying, as the sun slowly began its ascent through the heavens. I could see that thing at the edge of the forest now, glaring at me with its one good eye. Despite the damage we'd afflicted upon each other, we'd both managed to survive for now. It gave one last roar before slowly disappearing back into the woods from hence it came. I lost consciousness shortly after. I woke up in a hospital a few days later, 
and saw Riley sitting there staring at me with a mix of anger and concern. Before she could say a word, a nurse made his way into the room to check on me. He told me the wound had been so large and jagged that they'd barely been able to stitch me back together. They'd gone through a few bags of blood during the procedure, and I was lucky to be alive. When he left the room, Riley slapped me right across the face. That's for locking me in the gun safe. She burst into tears and damn near crawled into the hospital bed as she wrapped her arms around me, her chest heaving from the sobs. When she calmed down, she asked me what happened after I'd locked her away. I gave her the rundown as best I could, and a few days later, I did it again on the podcast. The landlord had been kind through all this. He's letting me stay on as long as I get the place fixed back up. Riley moved in with me and is giving me a hand, at least till I'm back in fighting shape, so it shouldn't be a problem. She's decided we're getting married in the spring, and I know better than to argue. I was worried about that decision, though, considering my recent history, living around others, but I've noticed something strange over the last couple of months. I've not had the slightest panic attack since that night, let alone a PTSD episode. It's like every ounce of anger that was bottled up within me flowed out with all that blood. It's not the only strange thing, though. This morning, I finally finished going through the footage from the camera we'd put up in the surrounding woods that night. Riley and I were the only things out there. When I asked Riley to go through what she remembered, something I'd never thought to do, all things considered, I was flabbergasted. She never saw whatever it was like I did. During the first encounter, she remembered hearing some odd noises and seeing the bushes shake before I knocked the tablet out of her hands. She was cowering behind me during the second encounter when I shot at it through the sliding glass doors. She couldn't hear much of anything, but the faint echo of gunshots inside the gun safe either. I hope you enjoyed The Monster in You is the Monster in Me by author Raz T. Slasher, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time. Tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Raz. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash R-A-Z. Find out more about Ohio and its ghostly underbelly with a glimpse into his book, Silence is Crimson, available in ebook format for your late-night under-the-covers reading goodness. Just, if you hear a slight growling sound in your bedroom, don't panic. Something may just want to enjoy a good book with you. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. Be sure to let them know that you heard about them here in this program, and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Raz would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, 
and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. 
In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.